right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F that. We don't got time for that. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN with Adam Dravetta, Derek Johnson. As we roll through our final show of the week out tomorrow, um, early off for New Year's, but we'll be back Monday after that, so Savor today's show, enjoy it, and if you're listening through the podcast on the Best of RCST podcast, just know this has got to last you all weekend, but hey, could be a perfect time with the weather getting bad this weekend, you're stuck at home, well, what do I do? Catch up on all your Best of RCST podcast. Boom. Perfect. So KU beats Nevada last night. Game was actually played. That on its own um, is probably a success. They dominated the game, but the fact that it actually happened, because at this point, with all these cancellations that are happening, and I know Bill Self talked about this, that you know, pretty much once everybody experiences this, like the whole herd immunity thing, as much as you don't really want that to happen because you don't know how everybody's going to be affected by it, the more teams test positive, the more they're going to be able to make it through the season. Um, anyway, just enjoy the game because who knows when the next cancellation will occur, whether it's a problem in KU's program or a problem in another team's program. Just enjoy it, no matter what you do. <clears throat> so KU uh, beats Nevada 88-61. to And dominant outing from the get-go. They got up to the early lead. Oh, what was it, like 11-0 or something like that? And never really looked back from there. Um, really impressive outing on both ends of the floor, too. The offense at one point kind of hit a, a dry spell. They scored only 15 points in the final 10 minutes of the first half. And it, for a moment, almost looked as if there was an issue for the KU offense. I, I started wondering at one point, like, is, is this just going to be kind of like the 2019-20 squad, where it was Yudok Azubuke and Devon Dotson, and those were your primary options on offense. And then the other guys you had, like Isaiah Moss could hit shots, Ochag Baji could hit shots, and, and so forth. Uh, Christian Brown could hit shots. But those were really the only two, Dotson and Udoka, that were creators of the offense, that were guys who could go get their own bucket. And that was okay because both of them were All-American players. You had two of the top ten players with a bunch of good role players around them, so it worked out okay. And maybe that would be the case for this year's too, but I started to wonder if that was going to be the situation where it was like, okay, you have Ochai and Christian who can get their shot whenever. Remy, we know, can do it. It just hasn't really fully come to fruition yet in a KU uniform. And despite all the depth and, you know, big-time players or guys coming from other schools, it just almost felt like a bit of a two-man show for maybe a lot of games this year and, and early in that game. But then some others started to come along. You put up 49 points in the second half. And even in a, a half that um, KU didn't have the best offensive half, they still scored 39 points. Now, a lot of that was... Because Nevada had 16 turnovers in the first half, that's going to help you score points. And Bill Self talked about that at halftime on the TV broadcast, how 
Um, they should have scored more points than 39, considering how many turnovers that they did get. But this offense is just a juggernaut. Even with that dry spell, you still wind up just a bucket short of scoring 90. You would have got there if you're not putting in the backups and everything at the end of that game. You shot nearly 60% on twos in that game. Um, didn't take a ton of threes, but they were efficient at them. They just continue to be a force offensively and it was ended up being a, a, a as much as I questioned about the kind of the two man crew complete balanced effort last night uh, Christian Brown and Ochai continued to do th- their thing which with Christian some of the shots that he's hitting are are remarkable and unbelievable and, and that I think is a, a signal of yeah this isn't just at, at this point I don't think anybody's really questioning this but it really is a signal that yeah no this is here to stay with some of the difficulty of shots he's making. He's not just like Ricardo Ratliff for uh, Missouri in, in 2012. I don't remember if he set the NCAA field goal record before you had Taco Fall and, and Yudoka Azubuke come in for an individual season, but he shot like 70% because you had all those four guards from Missouri. They were spacing out the floor. He just would dive to the rim and get wide open, easy layups and, and dunks. And certainly Christian Brown has benefited from, from some of those opportunities or some of those chances on cuts or in transition. But like the shot he hit at the beginning of that game in the first couple minutes where he's driving and he flips up a layup like a really high arcing layup off the window and in over a seven footer in Warren, Washington. That was ridiculous. That was an NBA level play of finishing through NBA level height. Unbelievable. But yeah, Ochai too. I, I it was funny because I, I was sitting there going, man, I feel like Ochai hasn't been, you know, a big, uh, big score this game, or maybe he's missed some, some shots that he would normally make. And then you look up at the stat sheet at the end of the day this is the biggest compliment I think you can you can pay a guy. Uh, he had 16 points on 7 of 12 shooting. So an efficient day, very efficient day. And he still scores 16 points. That was like the ultimate Frank Mason thing. Um, Frank Mason obviously had a lot of great games, games where he would score 20-plus points and carry you to the win. Frank Mason, though, would also have games where he would go 6-6 six, six at the free throw line and maybe his shot wasn't totally there that game or, or you felt like okay like he's he's just doing his thing but then you look up at the stat sheet and you're like yeah I don't know maybe he has 8 10 12 points and you have 20 points that has become Ochag Baji he is just easily getting to certain point totals he's he's just a pro's pro and that was really impressive but those other guys you did get to step up David McCormick had a, a really good game 14 points 6 of 10 shooting he was um, I think really confident in how he went about it the Back to the basket game was really important for KU, and again, KU, like something Jesse Newell keeps saying, they're just better on um, on and off with David McCormick on the court, both offensively and defensively. Dwan Harris gives you 14 points, which the more and more we see, because again, you're not going to see double-digit points from Dwan De, uh, Harris every game or every other game. But the more and more we see it, the more teams have to defend him. So the Missouri game, you had Missouri basically playing off of him and saying, we're going to take that extra defender and and help inside or or help with other players. And he ended up burning them. He scored double-digit points. In this game, I didn't really notice that happening. It looked like Nevada was getting all the way out to him, and he still put up the 14 points. That's just going to create more confidence. And you just what you don't want to happen is the Marcus Garrett situation from his uh, like 
sophomore year where teams were just backing off and it was messing up the entire spacing. And the more that you have games like that for Dewan Harris, the more important it is. But it's also important, or I thought was interesting, Dewan Harris played 32 minutes in the game, 19 minutes in the first half. Remy Martin played 22 minutes in the game. When we talk about Jalen Wilson re-entering the starting lineup, which at this point, I don't know if it's ever going to happen. Seven points, ten rebounds. Again, though, it wasn't something where you jumped off the page and you were just like, wow, what an unbelievable performance for him. But if we ever do get to a point where Jalen Wilson is entering the starting lineup, I think the most common guy that a lot of people would say, well, who's he going to replace? I know some people would be in the camp of David McCormick and play five small or five basically wings slash guards. That's not going to happen. Obviously not for Ochai or Christian would be for Dewan Harris. But everything Dewan Harris does leads to winning. He keeps having good games. He keeps getting compliments from Bill Self like he did in the post game last night saying he was our most important player. He was our best player in the game. Played more minutes than Remy Martin. We so sure that if Jalen Wilson were to re-enter the starting lineup that it wouldn't be for Remy Martin? And maybe Remy Martin the way he plays would be pretty ideal for a sixth man role now honestly I think that's going to be kind of a moot point I think the starting lineup barring an injury or or COVID or or something is what it is I think Christian Dewan Ochai David Remy I think that is your starting five the rest of the season I think Jalen's just going to continue to be the sixth man and maybe that's fine but I do think if that conversation does happen I don't know in my eyes I kind of view Dewan more necessary in the starting lineup than Maybe having Remy, especially in that situation where you'd have four other guys on the court who all need the ball, who all need shots, and Dwan wouldn't necessarily be that situation. Um, but the defense, too, for KU, that was important because it was your first game in a while. It was your first game um, after the Christmas break. So, in theory, this is when you should be finally locking down on the defensive end. Uh, we talked to CJ Moore about a week ago about how this is around the time when KU usually makes its biggest strides, when KU makes its biggest movement on the defensive end of the court and starts to figure things out there. He held Nevada to 61 points. This is a pretty good offense of a Nevada team. Um, You held Grant Sherfield to 7 of 17. Really good score for them. But overall, 45% on twos, under 30% on threes. You forced them into 21 turnovers. You were, I think, more aggressive on the defensive end. we saw several times, I mean, they still were switching and everything, but there were several times where they were working through screens. They were powering through screens, something that Bill Self talked about that he didn't think his team was doing a very good job of. And the end result was holding down Nevada to just 61 points in 77 possessions. Really good effort from the defense. They actually rose from, I think they were 38th in defensive efficiency on Ken Palm coming into the game. They're now 32nd. Um So really impressive, and and that'll be maybe the most important thing to track moving ahead, how the defense continues to lock down. Will this just be a – because it's one thing to, oh, hey, we get these reminders that we need to be better defensively, and we keep practicing it in practice. Okay, the first time we do it, we're going to be on our A game defensively. But as the longer we go on, does it it kind of funnel off a little bit, or does it stay where it's at? And we'll get another chance for that on Saturday against George Mason – Team coached by Kim English. Now, maybe the biggest takeaway from the game, again, the tightened rotation. It's not new. We've seen it the last couple games. We saw it against Stephen F. Austin. We saw it against Missouri. We saw it again this game. 
most of the the starters, pretty much except for Remy Martin and David McCormick, just because he's a big man. Uh, the other three played, I think, eighteen or nineteen minutes each. And Christian Brown, Dewan Harris, and uh, Ochag Baji. I think Remy gave you about thirteen in the first half. Same with Dave, somewhere around there. In the first half, it was pretty much just those guys, Jalen and Mitch. Um, Jalen Coleman Lands came in for for a stretch too. And overall for the game, it was pretty condensed again. Uh, Bill Self gave this quote in the post game. I don't think the bench has given us what they can, so we may have to shorten it. So that's interesting. Um, the main six players who we talk about with the five starters and then Jalen Wilson were the only players above 11 minutes. All of them were around 20 or above. Mitch Lightfoot was the only other KU player in double digits. He had 10 minutes played. That's seven players. That's it. Who played 10 minutes or more. Everybody else was under. Joe Yesfu didn't come in until the second half. KJ Adams and Zach Clements both appeared in the final couple minutes of the first half and then at the end of the game kind of in garbage time. Jalen Coleman-Lands had the stretch in the first half and then I don't think he appeared again until garbage time at the end. I, of course, would personally love to see, I, I think, some more leeway from K.J. Adams and, and Zach Clements, but I think for that to happen, it comes more at the behest of Mitch Lightfoot than anyone else because those top six, I, I don't think they're really moving from the rotation, and I, I, I think that's fine. That's you know your best players. Um, but what was once a, a thought of as, as a very deep team, and even early in the season, like the Michigan State game, outside of Ochag Baji, the biggest conversation was, wow, this bench kind of carried KU – it didn't last too long, did it? Now, am I surprised that the rotation is condensing under Bill Self? Absolutely not. We knew this would happen. We talked about this in the offseason, the idea that they have enough guys to play this many, but we know Bill Self's not going to do that. But when we were having those conversations in the offseason, we said, okay, but other KU teams, they've played eight deep, they've played nine deep. So maybe it'll be nine deep because it's a deeper team, and there have been other KU teams that have played nine deep. Maybe once you get into March, it's more like eight. But in January and February, at least, they're still playing nine deep. Well, we're in December, and they have already whittled this thing down to really a seven-man rotation. So am I surprised that the rotation is condensing with Bill Self? No. But am I a little surprised it's only six or seven deep and already being condensed? Yes, I'm very surprised. I thought this would last a little longer before it got condensed. I thought it would also be at least eight people. And, and maybe once Bobby Pettiford comes back, that's your eighth guy. And then you're at the eight-man rotation. Because I think Bill Self is still very high on Bobby Pettiford. And I kind of have a hard time believing he's not going to play for KU when he comes back. He was playing 15 minutes a game before the injury. Um, he's been really good, really impressive. So I think he'll be part of that. And maybe that'll give you a little more depth there. But... How interesting is it? Because this is now, what, three straight games? At this point, it's no longer a, well, that's interesting. They're shortening the rotation. At this point, it's a trend. And at this point, it feels like it is becoming kind of set in stone that that's going to be how it is the rest of the way, especially once we get into the games that matter the most in the regular season, which is Big 12 play and the Kentucky game coming up.
All right, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, will join us in about 20 minutes from right now. We'll let you listen in to some post-game audio with Bill Self here in a little. We've also got to get to our game picks. We have a fan New Year's resolution. We have a Rock Chalk Pick-A-Hawk update from last night, and we got to pick it for the George Mason game. And then... We're going to give out some awards for the year of 2021. We'll do that in the 5 o'clock hour. That's our show rundown. This is RCST. You're listening in on KLWN, KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Normally, we have Brian Haney, the voice of the Jayhawks, on with us on Friday. We did this last week as well, though. We didn't have a show Friday, same with this week. So Brian joins us now today on the show. Brian, I've been asking all the guests that we've had on this week with, uh, I guess now just, I don't know, little less than uh, 48 hours, 36 hours or so from um, turning to 2022, turning to the new year. What has been your either favorite story or a thing that happened or, or maybe game that you broadcast that you got to do here in this calendar year of 2021? So that could go back to, you know, the spring basketball season. It could go back to you calling baseball in the spring. It could be something from this school year. Uh, what would you kind of float out there as uh, some of your favorite things of 2021? Well, there's a lot on this list. And, you know, what began as a very tumultuous start to the sports year with KU basketball season because of the, the positive COVID tests just kind of getting derailed and then dismantled versus USC in the same month that the Les Miles and Jeff Long departures happened. There was just a lot of turmoil, particularly like the, the day before the Big 12 tournament started in Kansas City, a tournament that we would have to pull out of after one win because of the COVID situation. And I think back to that month of March, and you know they, they say sometimes the night is darkest before the dawn of a new day. And that was just such a rough start to 2021 with the Jeff Long press conference, the Les Miles departure, the way basketball, you know, just, just kind of withered up there amidst all the personnel losses we were dealing with. And obviously we were outmatched against a good Trojans team that athletically was just so much better than us. And then you add in some of our COVID and other health issues and it just, it wasn't a good matchup. And so boom, in a cloud of smoke, you know, all of this, you know, drama and turmoil and everything just kind of blows up and and then you know the main sports calendar is done but the dawn of a new day ushers in with travis goff and an instant culture change across the board in kansas athletics he goes out and and first makes the decision that he has to hire a coach right then and there and not wait until after an interim coaching season. And you know, Coach Jones may have done a tremendous job. Who knows? But chances are you were going to hire a head coach, a uh, permanent head coach, that, that wasn't the interim coach, more likely than not, six months later. And his decision to do it in the spring, even though it was not ideal because the new head coach wouldn't have any spring practices, he'd be behind in recruiting, all of that, to get ahead of the pecking order in what proved to be almost 20 other Division One you know, high major vacancies, 
uh, was a stroke of genius by Travis Goff. And then to get the guy that he got in, in Lance Leipold and what we saw almost instantaneously from his leadership, his organization, his coordination of everything, uh, really made those choppy waters that we were sailing through in March amidst all those other storylines that I gave you, you know, start to smooth out. And we had a couple of steadying hands at the wheel. And, of course, uh, Bill Self gets the lifetime contract in the midst of all of that as our interim AD, Kurt Watson, uh, you know, made a move that, that I think it will be a part of his legacy in the same way that you know, Drew Jennings as an interim AD help land a self coach is extended for life by the next interim AD uh, makes headlines and Kurt Watson. And, and that's all a part of kind of our rebirth uh, of a new culture and a new direction and, and a very exciting future for the rest of 2021. Because once we got through that March that I described, look at all those great things that started to happen. And, uh, you know, to fast forward into the fall with, with football steadily getting better, particularly in the second half of the season where you could just see the incremental progress in games each and every week. Uh, once this club had the same number of practices that every other Big 12 team already had to start the season, once, once we got caught up to that about the midway point of the season, keeping in mind that the coaching staff hadn't been with our, our players throughout the spring, then we really started to see the fruits of those labors. And obviously with basketball being a preseason top five program that's lived up to that, I realize the number six in the polls right now, but you've had Ochai Abaji emerge as an All-American candidate. You've had Christian Brown be one of the you know breakout players of the year in all of college basketball. And we have every reason to believe that this could be a special march where maybe a 16th Final Four is uh, accomplished for Kansas and maybe just maybe a sixth national title title banner is hung but you have other little storylines along the way i don't know i'm taking up too much time right out the gate but uh you know you got to be a part of a, a fantastic sweet 16 run for ku volleyball back in the spring i know that eli davis no hitter was on your uh, bracket of top uh moments of 2021 as a sportscaster for me in a 20-year career i had never done a no hitter wow and then twice in a six-day span i called a no hitter one by oklahoma state <laughs> Uh, and then one by Eli Davis uh, coming back in his very next, next start. Folks forget Eli was on the wrong side of the previous no-hitter six days earlier, and it was his very next start in what was just a seven-inning no-hitter, but a no-hitter nonetheless, uh, you know, that he bounces back, and Kansas is on the winning side. And so I'm doing this interview from my office right now at KU. I've got the spotting board framed on my wall and the headlines from both no-hitters because it literally had been two decades of doing probably 40 to 50 baseball games a year. And I never had a no-hitter, and I got two in a six-day span. Uh, so we, we've had a lot of good stuff going on you know, with Kansas Athletics, and I'm leaving a lot of stuff out. But the overall culture change that Travis Goff from day one has, has uh, brought about here at the University of Kansas and just how in stride, in sync, and, and the momentum that's being built by everybody, you know, rowing those oars in the same direction right now has, has me really enthused about our future, our future in, in the big revenue sports, but also our future across the board in, in all of our Olympic sports and, and smaller sports as well. And so it's a great time to be a Jayhawk. And what started out as a really rocky road to the year of 2021 ends feeling pretty dang good about where we're at, where we're headed, and how blessed we are to be Jayhawks. So I look back on this year with a lot of gratitude, a lot of excitement, and think just how far have we come 
from a culture standpoint, from a competitiveness standpoint, just from an overall confidence heading into the future standpoint, uh, the three C's, I guess, it's been quite a year, no doubt. Well, very well said there. We're talking with Brian Haney, the voice of the Jayhawks here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Okay, so KU beats Nevada last night, and Ochai Baji with, I I thought it was kind of like a quiet 16 points where I looked up at the scoreboard and I was like, wow, he's 7 of 12 or 16 points, and I, I feel like that's not even the headline anymore. He's just that's how good he is. Uh, Christian Brown with the 22 points and some amazing shots that, that he hit in that game. Um, and I, I saw this from Jared Burson on Twitter, who uh, he's a researcher for ESPN Stats and Info. I don't know if you've seen this yet. Um, Christian Brown and Ochag Baji each finished December averaging 20 points per game. The last time a Kansas pair of teammates did that, do you know what year it was? I'll give you wow. a hint. It was a Roy Williams coach team. I mean, I, I would guess it's Pearson LaFrance. That is correct. But uh, Okay, yeah. You, you told me before we started the interview we might have to talk about greatest duos. And you know, to me, two guys in the top ten picks that, that should have been two guys in the top three picks in their draft uh, back in, in 98, you know, is, is the one that headlines the list in the modern era. But, but man, we've had some great duos, haven't we? I mean, mm-hmm. they, they didn't grow up in front of our eyes because they were only here for about six months. But Wiggs and, and Joel looks like a pretty good duo if you would have given them two more seasons like Pierce had and three more seasons like LaFrance had, you know. But, uh, but yeah, that's, that's a great stat. Tell me more. What, what else did he have there? So, so that's the last time two yeah. guys averaged 20 per game in a month? 1997, Rafe LaFrance and Paul Pierce. And coincidentally enough, it was in December, just like this one was with, with Christian Brown and Ochai. So um, talking about those greatest duos, um, obviously, like you said, you'd have to list them um, – I don't know, you could go further back, but if we just want to uh, try to limit this thing to the Bill Self era to maybe make it a little easier, because, like I said, you could pick a, an array of guys in, in the early 90s with Roy Williams. You could pick Danny Manning and just name your next guy because that is going to be a pretty big duo. Same with Wilt Chamberlain and whoever else as well. But if we were to limit it to, let's say, Bill Self duos, um, who do you think is, is near the top of that list? I know you mentioned Wiggins and Embiid. I always think Frank and Devonte, but... Um, yeah. I don't know. It's all, you could also say Frank and Josh Jackson. There's a lot of good ones. The Morris twins. Yeah, I was just going to say that the Frank and Josh Jackson combo, specifically in that 2017 season, when Frank was National Player of the Year and Josh was the number four pick in the draft, and that one would be high up there. Real quickly, just to backtrack to the Roy Williams era, I mean, Nick and Kirk will forever be linked as a duo based on them both coming from the state of Iowa, arriving at the same time playing all four years, which it was kind of a, a last of, of a dying breed of college basketball player to stay all four years, so much so that Eddie Sutton had the famous run down the sideline to shake their hands in front of the Kansas bench. He left the coaching box to do so in a move that uh, was one of the more classy gestures you could see. And, and the one justified reason to ever actually leave a coaching box and not get teed up <laughs> is what he did that day. And, and I, you think about them, they both were lottery picks. They both had long, lucrative NBA careers. Um, there's one or two stats that, that Kirk Heinrich has ahead of Michael Jordan in the all-time like Chicago Bulls career statistics list. Uh, and as you know, Nick Collison's Mr. Thunder with his jersey hanging in the rafters down there in OKC, uh, even though he wasn't uh, you know all-star caliber player, which is what he meant to that franchise. So that, that's a great duo, too. 
that that belongs similar to the LaFrance and Pierce comparison. Keep in mind, Nick's our number two scorer all time, and and Kirk, you know, though not quite on the same, uh, you know, superstar status as a Paul Pierce. That's that's a great Robin to the Batman of Collison. You know what I'm saying? But back to what you said about you know Bill Self duos. It's it's interesting because his best team didn't really have a duo. What made his best team so great in 2008 was that they had five guys, and then they had two coming off the bench that were really good too, and uh, and, and it was a, a balance of, of just a, a total, you know, as he always says, the pie's big enough for everybody if you win the ultimate prize, and there were a lot of guys, you know, six of them drafted in the NBA that next year uh, off of that team that that clearly, you know, pay, played integral roles in what we were doing on the road to a national championship. So then you think about the teams that didn't win at all and what were the duos like. And, uh, yeah, I mean, like that 2012 team, T-Rob obviously was an All-American, but who's his running man? It's probably Tyshawn Taylor, right? But you also had Jeff Withy blocking shots and, and uh, Relaford and Elijah in the mix. But that, that T-Rob-Tyshawn Taylor duo is pretty stinking good. If you well, you know what? I, I'm sure people right now are yelling at the radio that we haven't mentioned. I don't know how this one slipped past us, um, and I'm sure we would have got to it. Uh, Sharon and Cole, that's got to be near the top of the list. Yeah, no doubt, and and that the, the duo year for them was right after the national championship, uh, because you didn't know. In fact, Coach Self just talked about this on Monday's Hawk Talk. Cause I I did a bunch of birthday shout outs from his favorite former players and Sharon and Cole. I, I lumped together, and you just didn't know what we'd have when you lose all those guys that I just referenced. Uh, you know, Shady leaves early, Darnell graduates uh, along with Russell Robinson. Brandon leaves early. Mario leaves early. You know, the list, the list goes on and on, and yet you had this McDonald's All-American freshman big who just outplayed Tyler Hansbrough in the Final Four, and then you had a, a McDonald's All-American uh, sophomore turning into a junior that, you know, was really our, our spark in so many ways on that 08 team from an explosiveness standpoint and, and the, the energy he gave you in Sharon Collins. But you didn't know if you could lose – Five other studs like that, and uh, and and ultimately, you know, still compete on the highest of levels. And they did. They went out and won the Big Twelve title. They went to the Sweet Sixteen along the road to the Sweet Sixteen. Uh, they both turn in All American type numbers, and in, in Cole's case, he ends up turning in the first recorded triple double in KU history versus Dayton in the round of thirty two. So that was a tremendous duo, absolutely. Um, and, and maybe sometimes the best duos are the, the guard-big combination. You know, I'm thinking of the movie Twins, which you're too young to remember, but Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger. you got one little and one big. They do different things, but when put together, they do amazing things. And, and that would be Sharon and Cole. Um, you know, it's a little bit different with, with Pierce and, and LaFrance because he was more of a small forward to, to Rafe's power forward. But, again, you have different positions. That's what makes this present-day duo so interesting is that they're both wings. And as Bill Self said earlier this week, and you bought him as a guy that asked the question, you know, is there a better wing tandem that he's ever had? And the answer is no. Um, because the other great tandems, like a Josh Jackson wing, Frank Mason point guard, you know, usually had some very to the positional assignment, and uh, in this case, they do very similar things. But, uh, man, we're blessed to have them. I don't think anybody thought back in October this would be the storyline we were talking about of a Christian Brown, Ochai Abaji combining for 40 a game type thing. I think we were all thinking Ochai with Remy Martin and Jalen Wilson and all that, and 
And yet, uh, you know, sometimes the best stories are the ones you don't forecast, and that's clearly been the case with these two. Yeah, they've been a, a real fun duo, and, and I think what makes it even crazier for me is, you know, if, if we list it out, like for the Self era, whenever people put together their all-time Bill Self starting fives, right, there's always so many point guards to choose from. There, uh, there's always so many big men to choose from, and, and there's obviously really good players at the wing, too. But um, I don't know that there's necessarily, like Frank Mason, National Player of the Year at, at point guard. Joel Embiid is just this all-world talent at center, whoever you take there. Um, at the wing, again, you have really good players like Brandon Rush, uh, fantastic player, Jersey retired. Ben McElmore, All-American, Andrew Wiggins and, and Josh Jackson, we know what they turned out to be. But I don't know that the list is as deep, maybe, as those other ones or maybe as, as monumental as the list of point guards and bigs. And, and I think more to that point, like right now, Ochai Baji is legitimately in the National Player of the Year race. Um, Christian Brown is legitimately an All-American candidate right now. Yeah. I, I don't yeah, know yeah. that it's that unreasonable if, if all continues on. Obviously, there's still a long way to go this season. But by the end of this season... We could be having a real conversation that Ochag Baji is the best wing of the Bill Self era. And I think furthermore, you could probably say Christian Brown. I know Bill Self talked about this yesterday. Like, he doesn't know. Christian Brown's a pro, like, but he doesn't know if that'll be this year or in another year. If Christian Brown were to come back another year, too, and he were to add to his legacy, like, this could almost be the equivalent of, like, Drew Gooden and Nick Collison, seemingly, with just the legacy that they build at, at kind of a similar position in back-to-back -back years, um, their last year of leaving. And, and who knows, maybe in a couple of years down the road, we're looking back at this and saying, Bill Self's two best wings that he ever had both played on the same team. Yeah, that's, that's quite a breakdown. And it's interesting because it, it's all relative to what criteria you use because mm -hmm. to hear you say that Ochai might be his greatest wing in 19 years if you would have said that a year ago, people would, would say, what is this guy doing with his own radio show on KWN? Ochai is like a great player, but he's up and down. Like He didn't have a level of consistency that made you think greatest ever. And then he goes to the combine. He gets some constructive criticism. He takes that feedback. He busts his tail. I would have told you this. If you would have made the prophetic statement, this kid has the best attitude of any player self's ever had at the wing, I would have said, hands down, that's right. But, but if you would have said a year ago, best wing ever, and you wouldn't have because he wasn't. But if, if you give a guy four years and, and, he, and he busts his tail like Ochai Abaji has done, he has put himself in position for that to absolutely be a legitimate statement and maybe the correct one. Uh, and where I say it's all relative to your criteria, there have been more talented wings that only played here one or two years, that if you gave them four seasons, they would be doing even more. Imagine Josh right. Jackson as a fourth-year senior, right? Imagine Joel Embiid as a center with three years even. You know what I mean? It's, it's, so it's, it's hard to have this argument of who is the best ever because you, you really have to make it just about who they were in their best college season and then judge that one year versus the other player's best college season because some guys with cumulative stats or cumulative progress, it's just unfair. But this particular season that Ochai is having right now, if he ends up averaging 20 points per game the whole year as first-team All-American, yeah, I, I think you're right to say that. But we wouldn't have said that a year ago because it just wasn't a, a consistent thing as much for him. And yet, what a tremendous uh, step forward he's made. And, and I'll tell you what, 
he may be one of my top two or three favorite kids I've ever covered here because of what's going on between the ears. I don't know that, that he'll stay true to this the entire year, but he told me a couple of months ago, eh, I don't think I want to do any NIL stuff, at least nothing big, because I don't want it to be a distraction, and I want this to be the best season it can be for me and my teammates, and I just want to focus on basketball. Now, how many kids across the country are saying that? Okay, and don't hold it against him if he goes out and gets a deal tomorrow, by the way, because you've got other guys you know, on other programs around the country that stuck their hand out from day one, and they're trying to get anything they can get. And good for them. They should. They should try to capitalize while they can. But for him to have the maturity to say that, that hey, I'm just focused on basketball. I don't want to get swept up in all that other stuff. That is Ochai Abaji in a nutshell. That that's the guy that says all the right things, does all the right things, that, that leads by example, and, and the example he sets is a gold standard. And, and he's really busted his tail to be in position to have this great year. So, yeah, I, I think you're on to something there, partner. And yet, uh, there's no way you would have said that a year ago, right? I mean, and that just goes to show you how far he's come. I remember when he put his name in the hat, you know, last spring, we thought, well, man, there's, there's no way he's going to stay in, but good for him for getting the feedback because he's going to find out what he needs to work on. But to take the leap that he's made to where now he's not just a spot-up shooter with great athleticism, but he's, he's in attack mode. He's in control at all times. He's scoring at all three levels. He's defending as well as he ever has. Uh, the athleticism's always been there, but it's at an all-time high, too. I mean, he is the prototypical golden example of go through the process, find out what you need to work on, don't let it crush your spirits, but rather let it fuel your fire, and then see how good you can be the next year. Because Ochai Abaji has taken it three levels up from where he was at last season, and I hope he gets every accolade he could possibly get, because at least at the midway point of this season, as we transition into league play here in another week, uh, he is absolutely deserving of any rose you throw his way. He is Brian Haney, the voice of the Jayhawks. You'll be able to hear him on Saturday's call against George Mason here on KLWN and our sister station, 105.9 KISS. Brian, thank you so much for the time, as always, and uh, a message about the uh, Nate Miller Retirement Group. Hey, before I do that, one last duo. We were debating that we put Frank and Devontae together, or do we go Frank and Josh? Mm-hmm. I think we go Frank and Josh. I'm good with that. Devontae with Svee. Okay. Because if you put Devontae and Svee together, and then you look specifically at 2018, again, let's look at this in like one-year sample sizes. 2018 was the greatest three-point shooting season in the history of Kansas basketball. You had Spee set the single-season mark with 115 makes. Devontae was third all-time with 110 makes, tying Jeff Boshi. Only Terry Brown is in between those two. But collectively, here's your theme of duos and tandems. Collectively, 225 threes. Are you kidding me? So, so give me that one on the short list. If you guys do a poll or whatever of self-era duos, give, give me those two guys, a, uh, a combo guard and, and a, a small forward wing type and speed because uh, Devontae and Svee, 225 threes deep. That's as good as anybody's ever done at one of the best programs in America. One of the best that uh, can help you be as good as you can be in terms of your retirement portfolio and your investments is my buddy Nate Miller. And just like the Jayhawks need a game plan for their next opponent, you need a game plan for your retirement. So call Nate today at the Miller Retirement Group. That's 844-401-4012. That's 844-401-4012. Always a pleasure, Derek. I love the topics. I love the debates. Good stuff. You're doing a terrific job with the show. And I wish you all the best in 2022. All right. Thanks, Brian. Cue the disclaimer. 
Brian is a paid spokesperson, not a client. Brian does not endorse, and all individuals should make their own evaluation of the firm's investment advisory and insurance services. Investment advisory services offered only by duly registered individuals through AE Wealth Management, LLC. All right, that was Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks. One hour down, two to go. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Four o'clock hour, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson, Adam Dravetta here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Um, it is our last show of the week, which means we don't get the opportunity tomorrow to do game picks, so we will just go ahead and do them today. First up, college football. We're going to have more than five games. Usually we do five games in a week, but this week um, we're going to do more because we have the playoff games and then we have all the New Year's Six Bowls, so we're going to do six games. Plus, to be safe, we, you don't know what's going to get canceled. That too, so, which last week We was may still wind up only having five or yeah. four because we don't know what's going to get canceled. Well, last week we picked five games. Only three of them ended up happening. Fantastic. Um, I went one and two. You went two and one. You're up to 35 and 23 in college football, 74 and 48 overall. I am at 82 and 75 overall, but I've struggled in college football, 36 and 42 this might be my last chance. Um, number 12, Pittsburgh, taking on number 10, Michigan State. This game is tonight. Michigan State's given up three and a half points. This is weird because a lot of times in bowls like this, you have one one team, which you could argue would be Pittsburgh, that it means everything to because their program doesn't get to a bowl like this very much. And then the other team is a team that probably missed out on the playoff, and they're not very interested in it. But in this instance... Michigan State was never realistically in line for the playoffs, so both teams really are are wanting this. And I guess based on that, I'll pick. God, that, that pit quarterback's good though. I'm gonna pick. He Mi- is not playing in the game. Okay, then I'm then I'm definitely yeah. picking Michigan State. I was leaning Michigan State anyway with that news. Yeah, I just I think Michigan State's a better team. I think the interest level is going to be equal because I don't think either of them's like well. We finished fifth in the college football playoff, and we just missed out. Now we don't even care. Um, so just give me the more talented team, and I think Michigan State can get it by. It's three and a half, but I think they can win it by more than a field goal. Yeah, this is an ultimate opt-out game. Kenny Pickett is not playing for Pittsburgh. Their stud quarterback who finished, I think, fifth or fourth in the Heisman. Maybe it's third. I don't even know. Uh, and one of the numbers, Michigan State's Kenneth Walker, who finished sixth in the Heisman, he's not playing either. Um, so the two most marquee players are not playing I like Michigan State overall more, and I think, you know, if you're saying, hey, one team's missing the, missing the running back who's really good, one team's missing the quarterback who's really good, I'd rather take the team missing the running back who's yeah. really good. It's, it's just going to be easier to place. Also, Pittsburgh is uh, uh, not going to have their offensive coordinator. So you mix offensive coordinator and quarterback, that is two bad things to miss. I will take uh, Michigan State. I still say Kenny Pickett is the worst name for a football mm-hmm. player, especially a quarterback. The only thing worse Dude, is— what is with Pitt? They had the kicker, Chris Blewett. Blewett. And then the only thing worse than that is way back in the day when BYU famously had a defensive lineman named Carl Mistackle. Are you serious? No, that's a lie. It's okay. a joke. <laughs> Made it up just now. I wish that was true. Wouldn't that be amazing? That would be. Uh, okay, here's the first playoff game. Number four, Cincinnati, taking on number one, Alabama. The Crimson Tide are favored by 13 and a half. I'm going with my head over my heart. I I really want to think, and and I this isn't even out of out of I don't have any hatred for Alabama. I admire Nick Saban, and I admire greatness. I'm picking Alabama. Um, I it's 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 nothing against Alabama. It's just I would love to see Cincinnati. It's you know it just would objectively, be objectively it'd be it'd be fun to see. Yeah, it'd be more fun. But I just I I think this is going to turn out to be like one of those, you know, the year Washington snuck in. I just I I don't know. I think if we have any hope of an exciting semifinal game this year, it's going to be Georgia-Michigan, and I'm not even sure if that'll be exciting. But I, I think, yeah, I think Alabama wins this thing by 35 points. 
I have a very hard time seeing Cincinnati winning the game. Like, the Georgia-Michigan game, I can see either team winning the game. Yeah. Um, I have a tough time seeing Cincinnati, a path to them winning. I actually think it'll be... Uh, I think what's going to happen is Cincinnati's going to come out with, a, like, a man with their hand on, hair on fire. Um, it's going to be a close game early. Maybe they score the first touchdown of the game or something like that. And then as the game goes on, Alabama just weathers them out. Um, and Alabama ends up winning the game. But I, I think they can at least keep it close-ish with the 13-and-a-half. I'm going to take Cincinnati with the 13-and-a-half. I think it's closer to probably a 10-point game or something. The thing that, that helps Cincinnati here, um, Georgia. So Georgia's defense got kind of roasted by the Alabama offense. But Georgia's defense, their strength is in the front seven. They have an elite defensive line, elite linebacking core. Secondary's good, but it's not great. Cincinnati, their their biggest strength is their secondary, mm-hmm. and that should help against an Alabama offense that, um, you know, they're still a good running team and everything, but they're not nearly what they were when you think of, like, the Mark Ingram and Derrick Henry years and so forth. They're more of a passing team with Bryce Young. So that helps them. They have two – Cincinnati has two legit pro cornerbacks that are supposed to go in the first or second round. Um, they also have a, a defensive end who's supposed to go in the first or second round that should help with pass rush. So I think they, they kind of match up better almost a little bit than – the Georgia matchup does. I just think they'll run out of steam at that's, the end. That's almost an, and that's an interesting callback to what we, when we had Flaherty on earlier this week when I asked him if Cincinnati wins, will it? And, and this was winning, not just covering the spread. I, I asked him if they flat out win, will it be thought of as just this amazing upset, or will we look at Cincinnati's pros in five years and go, well, yeah, of course they won. Yeah. And he kind of compared it to KU in the Orange Bowl in a way where it was probably a big upset. But if you look at that in exactly the same position group, if you look at that KU secondary, it's kind of like, okay, well, yeah, then they probably had a lot more talent. And and so the fact that you bring that up, that's a great point. Well, it's like the running back was a transfer from Alabama. The quarterback is supposed to be a first or second round pick. Like, they have dudes, it's just not as many of them as Alabama. So I think they can keep it close. They Remember, they almost won the Sugar Bowl last year against Georgia. I just I don't think in the end there's any way Alabama loses this game. So I'll take Bama to win, but Cincy with a 13 and a half. Uh, Georgia, minus 7.5, taking on Michigan. Georgia. Um, Georgia. Whew, this is tough. I think, once again, I, I really think Georgia sees an opportunity here. I could be totally wrong. I'm going to pick Georgia just to save any suspense. Um, although, golly, is it 7 or 7, seven and, and a half? half? Yeah. No, I'm still going to go Georgia because I do think it goes back to matchups. I think what Michigan is good at offensively is exactly what Georgia can stop off it or defensively. Um, and then on top of that, this is less quantifiable and, and more about attitude. I think Georgia, it's going to depend. Is Georgia, does Georgia come out as a wounded animal? Like, oh my gosh, we got blood drawn and, and now we, you know, we know we're vulnerable or are they angry and they just are frothing at the mouth for a chance at Alabama, a uh, second chance at Alabama. Um, I'm gonna lean that they're that that they're better, and I just think from a matchup standpoint, um, I, I think Georgia. I just think they're good at what stopping what Michigan does well. Yeah, these these almost feel like kind of carbon copies of each other to me, just in terms of how they want to play. You have two teams who um, they don't totally trust their quarterback. Like Michigan will rotate in a, a young freshman at quarterback. Both teams run the ball really well offensively. They have good offensive line play uh, defensively. These are probably the two best defensive lines in the country. For Michigan, you have Aiden Hutchison, who almost won the Heisman as a defensive end. The guy next to him, or on the other side, David Ojabo, is supposed to be a first-round pick. Georgia has, like, three first-round picks in the front seven. Um, So I think they're pretty much carbon copies. 
I would be most interested in taking the under in this game. I think it's just going to be a low scoring. What is that at? It was uh, 44 and a half, I think. Um, that's a low number, and yeah, you take the under? I would still take the that's under. Like a, that's like an Army-Navy game. Oh, it might be. They just run that's the ball. A, yeah, they have that's good a defenses. good point. This might end like 13 to 6. Honestly. Yeah, that's true. Um, unless the quarterbacks can get it going. So I'm, I'm going to take Michigan. I think it's a close, low scoring game. I kind of like Georgia to win, though, straight up. But again, it's it's like you said. We don't know how they're going to come out. Are they going to come out, like you said, a wounded animal where they're totally discouraged because, again, they couldn't get over the hump of Alabama? And they got, yeah, they got, they got blasted. Rolled. Or are they going to be like, no, screw this. Now they're mad, and now they blow out Georgia, or Michigan. Yeah. Like that, that wouldn't surprise me. If you were to say most likely outcomes in this game, I think one would be it's a close game either way. Number two would be Georgia blowing out Michigan. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, that, that if, if we cut if 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 I you know if we're texting tomorrow night and it's the third quarter it's and it's thirty four yeah, yeah exactly I, I'm not going to be shocked. Okay, number nine Oklahoma State taking on number five Notre Dame. The Fighting Irish are giving up two points, and they're without their head coach. I think Oklahoma, I think Oklahoma State wants this man. And and did you say they're getting points? Yeah, two points. Yeah, I, I think Oklahoma. I would actually. I don't know what the money line is, but I'd probably put money on Oklahoma State to just win this thing outright. And if they're getting points, I think they want this bad, dude. I think I'm with you because the motivation thing. One with Notre Dame, it's like we don't have a coach, and uh, they've already had a couple opt outs, like Kyle Hamilton, who's supposed to be a top ten pick in the draft. He's opted out. With Oklahoma State, you have the loss to Baylor in the Big 12 Championship, so it's like, if we don't win this game, we don't end up with a trophy this year. You yeah. know, um, So I think this would mean a lot to them. I, I think that, yeah, Oklahoma State wins this. The defense is really good. The only potential fear, although you have this with both teams, uh, uh, Notre Dame just missed out on the college football playoff by virtue of um, not being picked. Oklahoma State had a chance to play their way in, and they lost, so you could have a, a letdown factor. But I, I also... I don't know, man. I just I think they went out right. So if you're giving me points, yeah. Number eleven Utah versus number six Ohio State in the Rose Bowl. Buckeyes are giving up four points. See, I think Utah is better than just a hey. This is a fun story. I actually think they're good. They have gotten it rolling since um, early on in the season. Yeah, and and I think Ohio State. Um, the question is, because they just overwhelm them with talent, and I don't think this is an Iowa, Ohio State team that can. Um, I, I, I Give me Utah. I like Utah as well, mainly because their Rose Bowl uniforms are really cool. Um, they but sweet? Also, Ohio State has some big opt-outs. Like What you said with what would worry me the most is the talent thing, and Ohio State has the best receiving core in the country. Well, guess what? Uh, Garrett Wilson, projected first-round pick. He ain't playing. Chris Olave, projected first-round pick. He ain't playing. That kind of mitigates it a little bit more. Utah's been playing so well. If this was a 12-team playoff, this might be like a uh, first-round matchup. This yeah. would be so much fun. Yeah, yeah, I think Utah would have like serious ability to to do some damage Let in me, a playoff. On the on the <clears throat> excuse me on the topic of opting out, would you rather a coach outwardly? Because look, let's be honest. Any coach who says no, I support him 100% is lying. <laughs> they would rather the guy play. Yes. That doesn't mean they're angry at their player or anything like that. I'm sure they understand. But w wouldn't it be refreshing to have a coach go, look, man, I, I understand he's got a family to take care of, but I'm pissed. Yeah. Well, like, <laughs> Just play. Do you remember on. when uh, Mark Sanchez declared for the NFL draft and it like totally caught Pete Carroll off Vaguely, off yeah. at the press conference? And like Pete Carroll's all smiles as they get up there and he's doing the press conference and he goes, I've decided to go to the NFL draft. And you just see like Pete Carroll's face drop. <laughs> and he's just like, what? And he was mad. And and like, I just, 
I think it'd kind of be funny if that happened. Um, anyway, number seven, Baylor taking on number eight, Ole Miss. The Rebels are giving up a point and a half. Um, I think Baylor, or I mean, I think Ole Miss has the better coach, even though people make jokes about Lane Kiffin. Um, give me Ole Miss. I'm going to go with Baylor. I could see this meaning more to them, and I believe Matt Corral is not playing. Now, their backup did get experience this year. Um, uh, well, that's, well, I didn't know about that about the quarterback. Um, change it. Well, I mean, Ole Miss is still favored though, even yeah, with yeah, they are still. No, I, I'll stick with it. No, I'll stick with it because right. it's one point. So yeah, it's pretty much a pick 'em. I don't know. I just like uh, Baylor. They have really good defense. My lock of the week: thirteen and four. My one last week got it was a game that got canceled. Uh, Wake Forest Rutgers over sixty-two. Wake Forest scores ton of points. They have one of the best offenses in the country. They have one of the most unique offenses in the country. They one that run this like. Uh, it's like this delayed mesh zone. So it's like the zone read and RPOs, but they do it longer than anyone else. If you watch them, they'll hold it in the running back and the quarterback will go up with him all the way to the line of scrimmage and then pull it and throw it. It's wild to watch. Um, so the point is they have a really good offense and it's hard to prepare for. Well, Rutgers just got added to this bowl game oh, that's like a right. week ago. They were five and seven team. I can't imagine they were practicing. Wake Forest might score 62 on their own. Um, but yeah, is it Rutgers five and seven? Yeah, it's not like they added no. a ten-win team. No. What, what What would you say you're more? So I, that's. So I assume you're more confident about this since it's your lock. Mm-hmm. Would you say the under for that Michigan Georgia game would be your second most confident as far as over unders go? That would be up there. I just can't get over with a low number. That I mean, I understand it because of the style they play. Honestly, I'd be more tempted to take the under in the Oklahoma State Notre Dame game than the Georgia Michigan, okay. but that would probably be. Third. I mean, I, I that's the, I could see Wake Forest, especially because they're so excited to be here. Yeah, I can see them pouring on fifty-six points, and at that point, you just need a touchdown yeah, from Rutgers. Exactly. Okay, on to the NFL. You're thirty-nine and twenty-five. You went three and two last week. I went two and three last week. I'm forty-six and thirty-three. First up, Kansas City minus five at Cincinnati. <sighs> I hate this game. Uh, it makes me so nervous as a Chiefs fan. It seems like a big I, line. I know, and I like that the Chiefs have something to play for at least. I am worried about Kelsey getting – how long it may take him to get his conditioning back. Um, but I, I'll go I'll go Chiefs. I'm going to go Kansas City as well. I've been all aboard the idea that Cincinnati, when everybody's talking about them, doesn't do well. But when nobody's talking about them, they do very well. And this has worked perfectly. They won the last two games, like I said, and now – I think I like the Chiefs. The weird, I, I thought this would be like a three-point line before I looked at it. The fact that it's five makes me think maybe Vegas knows something here. So I'm going to take Kansas City. Miami at Tennessee. The Titans are giving up three and a half. Uh, as much as I would like the Dolphins to pull the upset, give me the Titans. I think this is going to be a close game. Um, I could see Miami winning the game. I think at the very least, if it is close, I'll take the three and a half points. The fact that I get the three. If this was two and a half, I'd probably take Titans. But that extra point does it for me. Las Vegas at Indianapolis. The Colts are giving up six and a half. Um, giving up six and a half. Where'd you say it was? In Indy. Okay. Lucas Oil. Um, I guess the Colts. Not a lot of confidence in that one. No, I, I wouldn't bet this I'm, game. I'm taking the Colts as well. I agree with you. I don't have a lot of confidence here. Like, this almost does feel like one of those spots where, because we haven't seen this in a while, where Derek Carr... Um, just has one of those amazing mm-hmm. games and let the Raiders just like beat a team that they're not supposed to, but then they gain no momentum from it and like lose the next week. 
that's like the ultimate Raiders thing. And this feels like one of those spots. Everybody's thinking Indianapolis, they're the hottest team. You know, I'm actually going to switch. I'm going to go with Las go, Vegas. Go I don't know Vegas. why. For no reason in particular. I Just a weird feeling. Are there any Saturday games in the NFL this week? Um, Not that I can remember looking yeah. at the schedule. I don't think so because uh, New Year's Day. So they were just. Like, yeah, that's kind of my bit. thought. LA Rams minus three and a half at Baltimore. Um, I Lamar I was practicing yesterday. Yeah, he, he had was. a noticeable limp though. I now give me give me the Rams. I think Baltimore's kind of in a in a rough patch right now, I, from an injury standpoint. Even with a, I mean a seventy five percent Lamar Jackson is because so much of his weapon is his legs. Uh, he's not a terrible passer, and he's gotten better at it. But as much as he depends on those legs, um, I'll take the Rams. I'm going to go Baltimore. I don't feel great about it. I just feel like backs against the wall. Like, if you want to make the playoffs, you have to win this game. And this is a game that uh, great coaches typically win, and John Harbaugh's a great mm-hmm. coach. So I'll go with Baltimore. not in love with it, though. Arizona at Dallas. Cowboys are giving up six. Cowboys are rolling. Mm-hmm. I, they're, they're so good. And Arizona seems to be going in the complete opposite direction. This, to me, has less to do about the fact that Arizona's been struggling lately and more to do with the the Cowboys are, and nobody's talking, everyone's talking, and rightly so, everyone's talking about the Packers and the Bucks. but I'm telling you, man, the Cowboys are good right now. Like, they're really good. Uh, so, give me the Cowboys. I agree with you. Cowboys might even be the team to beat in the NFC, because if you think about it, even though they're game behind the Packers, that opening game against the Buccaneers, remember there was that uh, they should have called offensive pass interference on the Buccaneers, and then they mm-hmm. didn't call. Like, Cowboys might have won. that. If the Cowboys win that game, they would be tied for the one seed right now in the NFC. Like, you could make the argument they are the best team in the NFC. Um, I'm gonna, I, I just think six is too many. I think it's an overreaction to how poor the Cardinals are playing. I like the Cowboys to win, but I think this is going to be three, four-point game. Like, even losing to the Colts, they lost close. It wasn't like a complete domination, so... I'll, I'll go with Arizona there, but uh, do not love trusting the Kingsbury late in the season. All right, those are your game picks. Coming up next, we're going to do our fan New Year's resolutions. With Adam Dravet, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. So next time we talk to you, our next show will be in the year of 2022, and everybody has to come up with their New Year's resolutions and uh, what they want to do in 2022. Well, we have a special segment here where we're going to give New Year's resolutions for fans, you know, because sometimes fans need a a little dose of... uh, I don't know. Looking at ourselves in the mirror. Yeah, and, exactly. and And I want to say, we don't want this to come across as us being superior because Derek and I are both guilty of these same things. All of us get caught Some up in them. the emotion. Not Yes, that's true. Some of them. Um, all of us get caught up in the emotions, and it causes us to act... Uh, it, it, sorry for the uh, for the, for the rude or, or off-color language, but it, it, we sometimes act like silly gooses. <laughs> Okay, so we each have four different New Year's resolutions for fans. Um, you came up with this idea, so I will let you go first. Uh, number one, stop thinking that positive things written or tweeted about your team's rival is the same thing as people saying negative things about your team. <laughs> yeah, don't be don't be the guy who's like, 
Wait, you said something nice about that guy? Clearly you didn't say anything nice about me, so that means you must hate me. Wait a minute, you think Ohio State's going to win yeah. the Rose Bowl, so you're saying Michigan sucks? Yeah. Don't be like that. Oh, so ridiculous. Or even then, like, even if it's not even your rival, even if it is a situation like that, like you, you mentioned the Rose Bowl, if somebody's like, I think Ohio State's going to beat Utah, Utah's a really good team, but I just like Ohio State, that doesn't mean that they hate Utah. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. You know, like, if, if somebody picks against Kansas, like, that that's my favorite. Um, It'll be like during the NCAA tournament, somebody will pick Kansas to lose in, like, the Elite Eight. Yeah. Somebody be like, can you believe he only had Kansas in the late eight? It's like, that's actually like objectively a really good, a really yeah. good yeah. It's, yeah, oh my gosh, you had them ranked fourth <laughs> yeah. in the AP poll? Yeah. What, you think they suck? No, I've got them ranked fourth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just don't think they're first. Exactly. Okay. There's a lot of room between first and awful. <laughs> oh, it's it's incredible. Uh, Okay, number one, this is for me. Don't tweet at recruits. Um, I guess if you want to tweet something positive, I don't really care about that. If you're just like, you know. Yeah. Congratulations on signing whatever. Or, or if it's even even something like, hey man, good luck with wherever you yeah. pick, but hey, rock chalk. Yeah, you know, exactly. even if you want to add yeah, just fine. a little something. Yeah, that's fine. Um I, I so let me amend this. Don't negative tweet yeah. at recruits. Recruit picks another school. Don't like tweet at them and, and I guess this goes beyond tweeting, like, you know, finding anything, social media or whatever. And contacting the kid and being like, I can't believe you picked this or you suck or or whatever it is. Like, don't do that. They're, they're 17, 18 they're year kids. old kids. Exactly. And look, this is a special. Honestly, even if you're the same age as the recruit, you should follow this advice. But if if you're a grown up and you're tweeting at a kid because <laughs> he didn't go to the college of your choice, get out of well, here. Well, you know what? We should add a we should add a uh, note to this as well. Now that the transfer portal is such a big same thing. thing. Don't do it to kids who are transferring out of the program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If they're transferring out, or same thing. If it, if they're transferring from somewhere else, but then they're, mm-hmm. it's between you and another school, and they pick another school. I have one more piece to this too. It's this is a specifically Kansas thing. I see this a lot where a Kansas commit in in whatever sport will say I've committed to Kansas University. Oh, yeah. And there are a lot of people. Oh, who, University yeah, of Kansas. University of, lo- love that you're committed here. Happy that you're coming here. But just to let you know, yeah. it's University of Kansas. Like, just let it be. They'll figure just, it out. Yeah. It's fine. They're, and once also, again, they're kids. Who cares? Um, I'm going to go on to uh, stop thinking that a person's prediction is what they want to have happen. If a person <laughs> yeah, yes. predicts a game... If a person, you know, is is pretty, and and what the, the thing I saw about this is is um, I think it was Jeff Goodman said something about that he was worried, you know, he thought a lot more college basketball games were going to be canceled, and some dope of a of a national conservative news anchor said, "Man, sports writers sure hope a lot of sporting events go get canceled." It's like, no, you jackass. It's just what they think is going to happen. Yeah. But if speaking of this, and in, in just in a, in a completely sports sense if somebody's saying i think such and such team is going to win this game that doesn't mean they're hoping for that Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean they you know they don't like it's not an attack on you personally like they signal out you in your underpants eating cheetos on your couch watching the pregame show going i'm gonna piss that guy off today no it's just what they think's gonna happen i would rather that than you know and and i'm gonna go a step further if somebody gets a prediction wrong, don't make fun of them. Yeah, I at least admi- it, it takes 
guts to put yourself yeah. out there and say, no, I think this no, is going to happen. It's hard. We're humans. We, yeah. all, we all suck at predictions. Right? Well, like, I, I don't if you look at my... Well, no, but, <laughs> but think about it like this. Even you are nailing it at predictions this year. You're at, what, like 60% And I still miss like, like 40. You're still missing 40. But <laughs> yeah. like, just as humans, we are bad at predicting things. So who cares? Who cares if somebody picks against you? If anything, that should be a positive motivation. Like fuel for the fire. Fuel for the... Team, for right? the ha- I am fueled by the haters. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, this is kind of a weird one. This doesn't... I don't know. Um, have you ever seen like when... You know, something serious happens to, like, a player or a coach. Like, Ron Rivera gets cancer or yeah, Alex Smith. Or an injury, something Yeah, like difficult. a bad injury. Sad. Yeah, like somebody tears their ACL. It looks really bad or something. And you'll go to, like, the, the tweet or, or something. You'll, you'll see it, like, flooded with comments. And just like, you know, I'm a New York Giants fan, but I hope he's okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you don't need to clarify that. You can just say, I hope he's okay you because be, we are all humans. Exactly. You would be... Like the the uh, I, I can't ever pronounce his last name, but that Carl guy from Aqua Teen Hunger Force, okay. who's a big Giants fan, and he, I don't know if you've ever watched the show. Yeah, yeah, I know. He's a, for those who don't know, he's a bald guy, and he's always wearing a New York Giants jersey and Giants colored Zubaz pants, and um, but anyway, he's the type of guy, and he's a cartoon who talks to a you know a soda cup and French fries and a meatball. And a meatball yeah. Um. So you know. Don't be on the same. He's the guy who would be like, "Oh, I'm so happy such and such got hurt." Don't want to be like that. And so, yes. And and stop. I would. And the whole what this encompasses is somehow you think you deserve credit because you want somebody to recover from an yes, injury. Yeah, exactly. Like, no, that just that's the baseline. It's man. like, do you think that that if just you don't, makes you not a jerk? Exactly. Do you think that if you don't clarify that you're like, you know. Hey, I'm a I'm a Jaguars fan, but I hope this Texans player. Do you think like your other Jaguars friends are going to be like, dude, that's disgusting of you that you would wish goodwill yeah, on yeah. another play? Like, like there's yeah, like there's going to be on some message board on yeah. the Jacksonville you website going. Ted? This jerk said something nice about Derrick Henry. He's not a fan anymore. <laughs> oh or they're going to revoke. It's like the Giants call you. I saw you say something yep, nice sorry. about Alex Smith. Can't your season tickets anymore. are revoked. <laughs> What's your third one? Um, we're going to go on to um, this is uh, don't ask. And I'm, I'm going to be frank with you. I think this is um, something that uh, I, I think I think guys are worse at than 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 um, the female of the species. There's a lot of those. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, don't ask other people to prove their fandom. Like if, if if this this happens a lot when other teams we have a, a close friend of Derek and I's uh, kind of he's from um, I think Texas and he kind of latched onto the Chiefs when he came to KU because they were in the area and so he was of course really excited at the Super Bowl and some idiot friend or ex-friend or something of his was like, you don't even remember when we lost this game or when we had this quarterback. Yeah. You weren't even there for that. No. Just stop. No, but the funniest it part too, all the time it, exactly team- what you're mentioning, this guy is like, he's probably like 25 or something. And he mentioned something from like 1997. He was like, you he don't even remember alive. this quarterback. He was like yeah. two years old. Uh, and so, look, just don't ask people to prove their yeah. faith. And this happens a lot. This kind of happens a lot in all sports. But especially when a team gets good, be like, oh, man, well, what was their record in blood? You're just a fan now because they're in the playoffs. No, just have fun. Remember fun? 
Remember having mm. fun? That's what that this word. is supposed to be. Just, hey, you're wearing the same jersey as me. Touchdown. Yeah. <laughs> High five. Yeah. That's what this is supposed to be about. <laughs> okay. I like that one. Um, how about this one? This happens a lot for KU fans, so I, I'm sorry if I'm targeting you. Actually, not really because this is a New Year's resolution. Hating literally every broadcaster. Um, oh, I, I hope that's... I think I, I hope that's one of those things that we just think it's it's local fans more because we see more of them on Twitter. Yeah, but you are right. I see a lot. But Kansas City and KU. Fans. And I know there's somebody listening to this going, "No, I don't hate every broadcaster. I like and they'll name like two guys. Yeah, and it's like and, that's and they it. think yeah, and, and it had a lot. Um, uh, Winnie the Pooh out there in Manhattan, Bruce oh, Weber, Bruce. when he said something about Fran Frischilla, now everybody all a lot. Well, not all. A lot of KU fans, you'll see now they think Fran yeah. Frischilla hates KU. Yeah. No, it's like everybody gets to a point of it. It's like, oh, I hate Fran Frischilla. I hate uh, Dick Vitale. I hate, like, it's just like, let it go. Joe man. Buck amongst Kansas City Royals well, fans because, yeah. God forbid, he say something nice that's, about a record-breaking performance. That's what I don't get. Like, you got to understand, these broadcasts are not designed. If you want to hear the KU design broadcast, listen to the radio. Yeah, Brian Haney is fantastic yeah. at his job, and he leans KU, and that's okay because he's supposed yeah. to. And and. Okay, if you if you hate it so much, just mute it and turn on the radio or something. Sync it up with the game. Like I, I do that all the time. So just do that if you really want, or just mute the game and don't listen with sound on. Just watch the game. Nobody's forcing you. Now beyond that, they don't hate your team. They're not bad. They are doing a neutral broadcast for both sides and for neutral fans. So you got to realize if the other team is doing something well, if the other player is doing something well, they are going to talk about it because that is a story. For a majority of the audience watching the game, We're and at no concept. point, at no point have I ever heard anybody, any neutral broadcaster, come in and say, "Boy, these Jayhawks look like garbage right, right. now." They're more saying, "Wow, this is you know, like Baylor when Baylor won in Allen Fieldhouse a couple years ago. Wow, this is an amazing performance by these Baylor Bears." They weren't saying something, you know, mean about your team. They're yeah. just admiring in a performance of a team in a different uniform. It kind of goes back to your first one, honestly, where it's like, just because they're talking about the other team. When they're team, saying something good they're, about yeah, them. Exactly. Um, my last one uh, is uh, even if, and this this is also especially for Jayhawks, and, and, I, and I mentioned earlier, we're both guilty of certain of these. This is one that I am absolutely guilty of, and I'm, I'm the way, I'm this way with, with Chiefs now, ever since they've, you know, the last few years. I've always been like this as a Jay, as a Jayhawk fan. Even if your program's great, enjoy every win, have fun. Like I loved that game last night. We we went. Derek and I, uh, we were there with Derek and his wife and a friend of ours who went to KU and she now lives up in um, Oakland. She was back in town. It you know it just have fun, man. Don't don't overlook. And if it's the Chiefs, you know don't overlook a fun win. You know a win in September. Just because it's a team you think is going to be garbage and it's not close to the playoff season, have fun. Mm -hmm. In enjoy it. Yeah. No, it's all fun. All right, here's my last one. I feel like yours were more fun-related and mine's are more, mine are more like kind of – You guys are – I'm complaining about, like, people. I, I, yeah. I got I, a lot of problems with you people. I know, right? Uh, caring about the lack of national coverage. Um, oh, yeah. Who cares? Now I get it. Okay, I, I'll say this. Like, there is a certain line. Like, the, the Salvador Perez home run thing. That was probably a little too far where the entire home run derby, they're talking to somebody else. Like that, I get it. That's fine. Yeah. Um, that, I think, was just more a clumsy way in how they produce the home run yes. derby than anything anti-Royals. Yes. And this one also kind of goes back in line with your first one as well. But it's like, let's say you're watching ESPN and NFL Live comes on or something. And 
they devote most of the show that the Patriots had a big win over the Colts or something. And they're talking most of the show about that and, and how good the Patriots are. And they don't really talk much about the Chiefs beating some bad teams. Yeah. This, Who cares? This goes, exactly. And it goes back to you as a fan should enjoy, you know, as a fan, yeah, you, you should don't enjoy each and every. verification. Exactly. You, you, should, you should enjoy each and every win, but also have some understanding that, you know, just because your team won a great won a game and you're really excited about it, you know, there's probably a bigger story. You know, I mean, the reason there's a reason Sunday night football is the biggest game of the year because it is the biggest game of the week because it usually involves two very good teams that are fighting for something with meaning. So yeah, I, I agree with that completely. It just enjoy. Uh, to me, even yours, it all goes back to have some fun with it. Yeah. So that is our fan New Year's resolution. Sorry if we offended you. Do better. We'll try to do better as well in the beautiful year of 2022. Coming up next, we'll recap last night's Rock Chalk Pick-A-Hawk and do our next Rock Chalk Pick-A-Hawk for the George Mason game. 2021 awards coming at the 5 o'clock hour. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. This is our last show of 2021. So with that being said, we need to get on to... Our 2021 awards. You may be wondering, what are we awarding? Who are we awarding? Well, you're about to find out. Our first award that we're giving out for 2021 is Transfer of the Year. Transfer Portal. Obviously, uh, used a lot nowadays. Finalists are for the award, Jameson Williams. Didn't you want, when all this started like two or three years ago, didn't you once change your Twitter name to like Derek Johnson Twitter profile, like, or Twitter, um, not Twitter pro, uh, transfer portal expert. No, that was Nick. That was Nick. Oh, it was it Schwert? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, Jameson Williams transferred from Ohio State to go to Alabama. He's now their leading receiver, almost 1,500 yards, 15 touchdowns, two kick return touchdowns. We'll see him in the college football playoff over the weekend. He's one candidate. Manchester United paid a transfer fee to acquire Cristiano Ronaldo. That's a pretty big transfer. Oscar Shibwe transferred from West Virginia to Kentucky. This happened in January, so we're still good on. On Ronaldo's yeah. the Portuguese guy, right? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. Uh, Oscar Shibway, this is what he's averaging for Kentucky right now. 16 points, 15 rebounds per game. <laughs> that's pretty good. That's a very John Calipari player, by the way. Oh, yeah. yeah that's a super John Calipari stat line. <laughs> okay. Actually, it would be a more John Calipari big man stat line if it was like 12 points, 15 rebounds. Who do you think the winner is? Um, I don't know enough about soccer... Like, I watched Sporting Kansas City. I watched some of the Kansas City. Uh, they weren't called the current this past year, but uh, I think they were just called the Kansas City women's soccer team, but now they're called the current. Um, I watched some of their games. Soccer, I kind of am more like baseball. I watch my teams. Like, when it's the World Cup, I love watching the U.S. women dominate the Women's World Cup. Um, I hope the men can at least make the round of 16 in, in the Men's World Cup. Um, but soccer, I treat more like baseball. I watch my teams, not the whole sport. So having said all of that, I'm going to say Chibwe. All right, the winner is, whoa, it's off the page of finalists. It's none of those three. It is Chip Lindsey, the former KU offensive coordinator who weeks after taking the job took the Troy head coaching job. He did it again. He took the Florida Atlantic offensive coordinator job. Then just two weeks later, Took the UCF job as a quarterback coach and offensive coordinator. Chip Lindsey, the transfer of the year. Congratulations to former friend Chip Lindsey. 
Okay, how about this one? The Jared Casey moment of the year. You think you're really something, don't you? <laughs> Jared you think you're Casey's clever, don't you? Two-point conversion against Texas. Jared Casey's Applebee's commercial. Jared Casey's game-tying touchdown with TCU. Lots of other great Jared Casey moments as well. What was Those the first were the one? finalists. The two-point conversion against Texas. So it was two-point conversion, Applebee's commercial, and what was the third one? Game-tying touchdown against TCU. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, um... Well, I hope you're going to go off the list again and pick that awesome. I love that video uh, when his parents, or his mo- I don't know if it's both of his parents or just his mom didn't know he was the one who caught it, but they're all cheering. They're excited because KU won, and then they realized it was it was their kid that, that made the play. Um, that was a wonderful moment. But I'm going to say, just because maybe that is included, her reaction is included in this, I'm going to say the two-point conversion. All right, the winner is... Three receiver sets. Casey, the fullback, lining up wide to the left. Lassiter and Arnold wide right. Now they motion Casey over. Daniels in the gun. He looks right. He's flushed out of the pocket to the right. Throwing on the run. It's caught. It's caught. Casey. And Kansas will win. Holy cow. Jared Casey with the play of his life. And the Jayhawks take down Texas. From Plainville, Kansas to Austin, Texas. What so that I, was the winner, Jared Casey's two-point conversion. You couldn't have the rest without that one. I agree completely. You're, you're 100% right. And, and what did I say? I said this at one point earlier this year. The best thing during a KU broadcast is when the game is tight, you have, whether it was Bob Davis or now Brian Haney, doing their play-by-play, and then you just have David Lawrence. David Lawrence does a great job in between plays with his color analysis because he's very knowledgeable about the sport, but he loves KU so much that in those moments where Brian Haney is doing his play-by-play, he can't help himself but just go, ah, ah, oh my goodness, and I love that about David Lawrence. Okay, our next one is the Scott Chasen dumb football decision of the year. The finalists from Scott, Dan Campbell, for kicking a field goal inside the 10-yard line when his team was down seven with less than three minutes to go. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers for lying about his vaccination status. And Urban Meyer for his whole bar scene. Let's hear from Scott. Hey, guys. This is Scott Chasen here with the Dumb Football Decision of the Year Award. Our committee looked at several contenders. Even beyond the finalists, this was a stacked field. We considered Urban Meyer for hiring Chris Doyle, the disgraced Iowa strength coach, We considered Urban Meyer for signing Tim Tebow to a training camp deal. We considered Urban Meyer for allegedly kicking Josh Lambeau, for getting into a fight with a player, for allegedly calling special teamers derogatory names. We considered Urban Meyer for thinking he could coach at the NFL level. But in the end, the winner is Urban Meyer for going clubbing instead of getting with his team on the plane after losing at the Bengals. Congratulations, Urban. A well-earned win. Man, we could have had the Urban Meyer Award, too, and that would have gone to Urban Meyer he as is, well. I mean, his whole year has just been a pile of suck, man. <laughs> yeah, he wins the pile I, of suck year, or award. I, I would, he's not even good enough to have mayonnaise dumped on him. <laughs> okay, uh, sticking in the Scott-type categories... How about the Scott Drew? Are they good or not award? Now, Scott Drew has graduated from this award. I think the last two years has shown that. They there was, yeah. were great two years ago. They won the national championship this year, but that was the conversation for so long. Some people would say, no, he's, he's a really good coach. Others would say, no, he's overrated. He sucks. Well, he's no longer there, but, but you know, the legacy is there on the award. First nominee is Tua Tungavailoa. Is he good? Is he not? We don't know. UCLA basketball. Everybody in the preseason, it was like, yeah, they made the Final Four, and they have all these returners back. There were some people who were like, this is a great team. 
Others said, yeah, but you were an 11 seed. You made the play-in game. You barely won the play-in game. Otherwise, we're not even having this conversation. So UCLA basketball, are they good or not? Salvador Perez, his MVP candidacy, is it good or not? You have a lot of young guys saying, yeah, but his framing isn't good. And that discounts everything. And a lot of other people say, yeah, but okay, look at all the home runs and the RBIs. So the winner of the Scott Drew, are they good or not, to a tongue by Loa? Well, for whatever it's worth, I, I think the discussion of Salvador Perez's framing um, is is what's overlooked in that is how many bad pitchers he had to make look good. Um, having said that, I would say, so what are we going with here? The, the one that's it's, it's the most controversial or the one who is the best of these three? What's the... Because I would say the most controversial of these is Tua Tungavaiola. Yeah. Tung, I, I beg your pardon. Tua. Um, because I think he has the most people. Like Scott Drew was pretty equal on each side. He had the same amount of people thinking he was good. For the record, since about 2010, I was in the camp saying he's a really good coach. Um, I think Derek was pretty similar. But anyway... Um, but you had the same, you had an equal amount of people on that side of that argument as that he's good versus he's not good. And I think Tua has the most number of people on either side of the argument. So I'm going to give my opinion, uh, though you're the official committee on this. I'm going to go with Tua. I don't know. We have a, we have a random, I, I don't know who gave the awards. I just, I just read them off. Ah. Um, okay. Our next one pipe of who the won year. It? it was Tua. Oh, okay. Pipe of the year. One, the pipe that burst at the Washington football team's first home game of the year and was spitting out sewage. Number two, the pipe that burst in the Washington football team's Monday night football game against Seattle that they say was actually only rainwater. And number three, recruiting pipelines, all sorts of recruiting pipelines. Now there's transfer portal pipelines, you know, transfer from one school to another. It's like a feeder school. But the winner is the first pipe that burst at the Washington football team. Imagine being at a football game. Leaking sewage is just a yeah, beautiful metaphor for that. Wet turds running down. Just rolling, which really, wet turd is a good way to describe the Washington football team's owner. Hey, yo. All right, our next award is going to be presented by none other than Matt Galloway. Our 2021 awards continue with an old friend, Matt Galloway, formerly of the Topeka Capital Journal. I feel like that just rolls off the tongue to say it that way. Um, but Matt, you have the best movies of 2021. Coming up in a little, we'll do the worst movies of 2021. So what are the three nominees for your favorite movies, the best movies? I don't know how you uh, you kind of took into account the nominees, how they were submitted to you this year. Yes, Derek, thank you for having me back on. It's great to be back on uh, the airwaves at KLWN. When you asked me to, to do this, I had to think for a second and wonder uh, if I'd even seen six movies this year. <laughs> I know that that's going to be sad for a lot of your listeners because I've kind of reverted back to my old self. No! Self, but I did, I did find that I've seen at least nine movies this year. Um, and so I have, you know, the, the worst ones you might... Some people might be upset about because, uh, you know, they're, some of them are kind of acclaimed movies, but I didn't have a huge sample size to work with this year. And I can tell you, I liked every movie that's on my best list and I disliked every movie that's on my worst <laughs> list. So at the very least, there's that. Um, but my nominees for best movie uh, that I saw this year, number one uh, is Cruella, the Disney film. Mm. It's a, a basically a, an... Uh, live action 
Uh, I believe Emma Stone, I think, I might be that wrong, is correct. I think Emma Stone plays Cruella DeVille of 101 Dalmatians fame and later straight to VHS, I think 102 <laughs> Dalmatians fame. Uh, it's kind of like a sympathetic origin story for a Disney villain, which I really think we need more of. Honestly, like I, I would be the first one in line to see uh, a movie called Ursula. That's just basically the Ursula origin story or maybe like Jafar. Mm. Um, that's the Jafar origin story that just kind of paints them in a sympathetic light. We need more of this Disney. I, I'm, I'm all on board for that. The second one is a movie that I'm kind of going to blame everyone in society for living it flop a little bit, but it's an animated movie, Ron's Gone Wrong. I really like Ron's Gone Wrong. I thought it was a very quality, funny movie with a ton of heart and uh, one that I think adults and kids would like. So if you're looking for a movie to watch with your kids this weekend, I would highly recommend uh, checking that movie out because a lot of you didn't do it in theaters and that kind of bums me out a little bit. So if I can make it out to the theater to see a movie, you should be able to. <laughs> and my top nominee, or I guess I just kind of spoiled it, but my nominee and the mm. winner of uh, movie of the year uh, for me is Free Guy. So it's basically uh, a movie with Ryan Reynolds where it takes the idea of the non-playable characters, basically the background characters in video games and says, what if they were real people, sentient beings with real emotions and, uh, you know, feelings. And even though, you know, in Grand Theft Auto and games like that, you just run them over on the sidewalk without thinking, you know, thinking of it again. Uh, but it was it was a comedy. It, it had a few plot holes, which kind of, uh, you know, you, it's one that you had to turn your brain off for a little bit. But this movie had way, way, way more heart than I was expecting it to have. It was, a, it was a super quality movie. I was a huge fan. So there's your winner for best movie of the year, according to the experts. Wow. So a good award there for Matt Galloway. We've got to get to the worst movies of the year, along with a couple other awards after this time out. This is your 2021 awards on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We continue on with part two of our awards special for the 2021 awards. First up... For this segment, MLB. nice of you for a, to, uh, to wear a tux for this award ceremony. Yeah, by you the can't way. see it. You guys can't see it, but he looks fantastic. I do spiffy. MLB Speedster of the Year, Terrence Gore, continues to populate on postseason rosters on MLB teams. Great for him. Starling Marte had 47 steals to lead the MLB. Whit Merrifield was second in the MLB in total steals in the Kansas City Royals. But the winner is, well, we got another off the board special. The MLB.com employee who speedily took down all of the player images and faces from their website it and was, content. It wasn't even 12.01, man. The lockout started at midnight, and it was not 12.01, and all those faces were gone. Wow. It was amazing. What a performance. What a speedy performance at that. All right. We did the Matt Galloway Best Movies of the Year it's Award. It's almost as though they knew the lockout was coming or something. No, nah, there's no way that nah, happened. Nah, he got them all done in a minute. What about Matt Galloway's worst movies of the year? Let's go back to Matt. Back we go with Matt Galloway. We had earlier the best movies of 2021, according to Matt. None of them were on the eight highest grossing. Now, obviously, what makes money and what's critically acclaimed are, are different. 
but uh, a little bit of a different list. So I wonder if we're going to see any of those high-grossing movies here on the worst list. Matt, what is your three nominees for the worst movies of 2021? Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know if these are any of the top grossing movies. I have a hunch that a couple of them are. I will tell you, I saw three Marvel movies this year, and none of them made my best or worst list just because I thought that they were all kind of meh. But on my worst list, I thought I have to give an honorable mention to what I saw of Space Jam 2. Now, I didn't see all of it. I saw the beginning of it and the end of it. But what I saw was horrendous, and LeBron James should not be allowed back in the movie uh, ever again. I think he should definitely be probably traded away from the Lakers so he can't do any more harm to Hollywood. But, you liked uh, him, my, though, in that one uh, – oh, what was that other movie? Um, no, I think that was Scott. I don't oh. think I've ever seen anything else with LeBron James in it. Mm. But I will tell you, uh, one of the nominees for me for worst movie of the year, and I know a lot of people are not going to like this, but Quiet Place Part 2. Wow. Now that I saw that a year, uh, probably about a year ago. I think it's coming up, up on a year. It was one of the first movies. I think it was the first movie I saw back in theaters. And it was nothing. I don't remember anything from it. I remember walking away from it saying that was completely meaningless. That was like the bridge between a really good movie. I loved Quiet Place Part 1. I would maybe even give it a 10 if I remember correctly. But Quiet Place Part 2 was, it was like, to me, it was total filler. It was total filler between the, the first movie of the trilogy and the third. When movies like Empire Strikes Back get it right with the second or Godfather Part 2, this one, to me, this was fluff. I didn't like it. So that's my opinion. I'm sticking to it. The second one was maybe one of the most boring movies I've ever seen, and that's Dune. Now, Dune is based, I believe, on a critically acclaimed best-selling book series, but it was two and a half hours and it was a sci-fi thriller set in, I think, future space uh, with, like, a, a, you know, mining and taking advantage of a desert planet that has some precious resource. I think, I don't even remember what the resource was. I, I think it was spices, maybe, which seems a little silly. But I guess the, spi <laughs> the spices powered the super-powered space travelers. So, I mean, go suck up on your paprika if you want to space travel anytime soon. But... It had one, it had literally one joke in the entire movie. I'm not saying the movie has to be like a gut buster, but for God's sake, please throw me a bone every like 10 or 15 or 20 minutes at least in the theater of something that lightens the mood a little bit and not as just this dreck. Um, number one, though, my worst movie of the year. Again, another disappointment where my best movies all exceeded my expectations. My worst ones all fell far short. And I would say none did more than this one. Candyman by Jordan Peele. I thought it was a disjointed mess. And I realized after I got home and I did what everyone does after they look up, after they get home from a movie, I looked it up and was wondering, what did any of that mean? And I don't think it's that I'm too stupid to understand what it meant, although maybe that there's like a couple of parts in there. But it was a sequel. I didn't know it was a sequel, but a lot of the things that I was reading online were, no, you absolutely need to see the one, I think, from the early 90s to understand half of what's going on in this one. It was the only movie that I saw in theaters this year where I actually contemplated leaving like two hours in. That one gets a tremendous thumbs down from me. Not a fan. So Jordan Peele, I hope you're, I love Get Out. I loved Us. I hope his next effort is more in line with those than uh, whatever the hell Candyman was. All right. Some harsh words there on Candyman. Don't watch it, apparently. 
in uh, 2022 to look back on 2021. All right, our next award. The more things change, the more things stay the same. Mm -hmm. How about COVID ruining sports? Great year for COVID. I mean, just as a performance by them. Uh, Tom Brady just, you know, gets older. Everything stays the same. Uh, Alabama football. But the winner, pretty obvious to me. COVID ruining sports. Alabama still loses games. Uh, Tom Brady still loses games. COVID took a step back with the vaccinations. But it but really, now it's it responded in strong, force. Right? Yeah. So the winner, COVID ruining sports. Our next award is the Coley McCulkin Home Alone Abandonment Award. That is uh, quite the mouthful right there. These are for people who abandoned the show. Scott Chasen, no longer working at 24-7 sports, doesn't come on the show. Um, Matt Galloway, who... I guess both of them are on the show today, technically, so maybe that's a little uh, ironic and a bit hypocritical. Um, Matt Galloway, got a job outside of journalism, no longer on the show. Nick Schwert, former host of RCST, no longer on the show. We've been abandoned by so many people this year. Our winner, though, is Nick Schwert. Wow. Um, I really was not expecting to win this today. Um, this is an incredible feeling. I don't I don't even know what to say. Um, uh, first off, this award does not just belong to me. The other outstanding, incredibly talented candidates, Scott, Matt, I couldn't have done this without you guys. You guys should be up on this stage with me. I know you're not, but uh, this is truly a, a team award. Um, okay, who else do I... Uh, my mom and dad, thank you so much for instilling in me at a young age to, to give up on my dreams and, and to leave those you care about behind. Uh, this is what you get into this industry for, is to completely abandon those around you. Um, okay, they're, they're queuing me off. They're saying I have to go. Okay, last but not least, Derek, I have to thank you. If it weren't for you, I wouldn't have had anyone to abandon. Uh, I hope this really hits you hard, hits you where it hurts, and I, and I hope that you carry this one with you for a while. Thank you so much. Wow, so big award there. Um, Couldn't have happened abandoned. to a better guy. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, um, I guess Scott didn't win the award because he still was doing stuff with us on the Mama's Tamale Shop shows, but uh, man, that must have been a tight race right there. Okay, the uh, 2021 awards continue on with the edition of the year. All right. right. I mean, I guess kind of similar to the transfer I portal. think I know where this one's going. You do. The Manning broadcast to ESPN+. Plus. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. ESPN being brought back to YouTube TV. Oh, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it went away for a little bit. Bishop Sycamore. To the high school sports landscape. Are Good we missing for them. anything, though? I can think of a pretty important addition in the world of sports media that we're not talking about. All I see on the finalist list are these three, but we've gone off the page before. I got a feeling we're going off these three, and there's going to be a certain somebody added mm-hmm. to a certain team at a certain radio station. All right, let's see. The winner, Adam. Do you know what the winner is? No. no, it is Bishop Sycamore oh, to the high school on. sports landscape. Do you remember this story? Yes, it was a, it was fantastic. Oh, wild. Basically, a fake high school put together a bunch of athletes. Were telling them they wanted to be like the IMG of the Midwest, and man, that thing. And is they weren't even mess. a school. No, and they got destroyed by the actual IMG. It was yeah. great, or maybe it was Bishop Gorman. I don't I don't remember. Somebody, one of the big high schools. All right, some quick awards. Just uh, no finalists here. We just give them out. Wordsmith of the year goes to none other than Aaron Rodgers for his use. Of the word immunized. Yeah, I've been immunized. The quote of the year goes to none other than Jeff Long. In what regard? That's the quote. In what regard? No, like that is the quote, Jeff. In what regard? Never mind. You're we're moving on from you. Um, 
Can we change the name award of the year? Goes to the Euros 2020, which happened in 2021, but they kept calling it the Euro 2020. Same with the Olympics. Yeah, that's right. Um, cheater of the year. How about Bob Baffert? Medina Spirit. Kind yeah. of get away with that. What a jerk. Yeah. And then our last award, maybe the most important award, RCST Hosts of the Year. Oh. And let me open the envelope here. Oh, it's a tie. Okay. We have a tie. Derek Johnson, congrats to myself. I got it. Th- now, now, I was wrong about one before, but I think I know who's, who the other one is on this and, one. And, oh, Nick Schwert. What? I Take it up with the committee. I'm quitting. I didn't do this. I'm resigning. All right. I well, won't be back in 22. Looks like we got an opening in 2022. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. That's our awards. Have a good year. And uh, get those New Year's resolutions planned. All right. This is RCST.